0: Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most diehard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I am your host, Tyler, and after an action-packed week last week, with a lot of different things going down, obviously the Jamie Newman news catching all the headlines. We are back to our regularly scheduled programming this week, and today I am previewing the Kentucky Wildcats as part of our Scouting the Enemy series. We've already knocked out Alabama, Auburn, Missouri, and Tennessee, but today we are setting our sights on Mark Stoops' surging Kentucky Wildcats program. So we'll have a lot of fun with that. But first, before we get into that, If you enjoy the Glory UGA podcast, I want to quickly encourage you to show that support for the show by giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That is a huge, huge help as we continue to try to bring you our kind of unique brand of Georgia sports content. And if you listen to our podcast on a platform other than Apple Podcasts, seriously guys, just helping us spread the word about the show to friends, to family, or even just on social media, that is a big deal too. That's also a huge help. Last month was actually our best month of the year so far in terms of overall listens. It actually beat out the month of July, which was our high point to that point in the year. So thank you for all of that, guys. We really sincerely do appreciate all the support. And I also want to quickly remind you guys about the Bold Predictions episode that we will be running later on this week. The way it works is pretty simple, guys. Just send us any and all bold predictions you have for this 2020 season. Obviously, they can be Georgia-specific. It can be about players or records or wins, losses, whatever your bold prediction might be, breakout players, anything like that. It can also be a little broader than that. It can be SEC-wide. It can be college football wide at least those conferences that are playing but send us all your bold predictions and Curtis and I will discuss those on our next episode later on this week we do this we, well we've done this the past couple of years and we've always had a lot of fun with it and we look forward to doing that again here in a couple of days so send those in to us on twitter at glory underscore UGA you can just tweet it to us or you can dm us whatever works for you you can also email us at podcast at gmail.com. So get those in here over the next couple of days and we will cover them later on this week. But okay, today we are talking some Kentucky football. And look, guys, I know that when you hear Kentucky football, most of you are still like, eh, yeah, whatever, but it's Kentucky, right? And I get that on some level, Because that is what they have, for the most part, traditionally been as a football program. But man, head coach Mark Stoops has done such a fantastic job since taking over that program. Like, Kind of without anyone really knowing it, they are quietly in the midst of arguably the best four-year run in program history. They've won 32 games over the past four years under Mark Stoops, which is the best four-year stretch for Kentucky football from a wins perspective since Bear Bryant won 33 games between 1948 and 1951. Yeah, I know they play an extra game or so right now than we did back maybe in the in the 60s, 70s, and I, I, even in the the late 90s, early 2000s, we're only playing 11 game regular season. So I get that, sure, but the fact is, by the numbers. Mark Stoops has led this Kentucky football program to more wins over the past four years than any coach since Bear Bryant in the late 40s, early 1950s. And I actually, even even though, yeah, sure, they might play an extra game or so these days, I would argue in some ways it's much more impressive in today's SEC to, to win those games because it's just a far more competitive conference than it was in the early 1950s. There are just more teams that are good, more teams... That can beat you if you don't bring your A game any given week. More teams with resources than ever before, due to the, the inflated conference TV contracts. All the money flowing into the game right now. And look, I'm not saying Mark Stoops is Nick Saban or Kirby Smart. He's not, but I would take him. I really. I, I've been thinking about this. I think I would. I think I'm ready. I'm ready to say this. I think I would take Mark Stoops over any other coach in the conference besides those two, besides Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. And I know I'm saying I would take him over two national championship winning coaches, and Ed Orgeron and Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. But Jimbo Fisher, he's and he's a really good coach. He's a really good offensive coach. But he also comes with uh, some, I, I don't know if it's fair to say baggage, but he left Florida State in a really, really bad spot, and that's kind of always. I've kind of, I don't want to say I've held that against him, but it's something I've always kind of, kind of kept in the back of my mind when talking about Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, great coach, but man, like he certainly left that Florida State program in a bad way. I mean, there's a reason why he left there. Yeah, they offered him a lot of money at Texas A&M, but also Florida State was already trending down his last couple years there. He kind of saw the writing on the wall, and he just got it out of town. And that was really on him more than anyone else. And then Cocho did a great job last year. Uh, it really, I, I got to give him credit for opening up the offense and bringing in Joe Brady and, and really kind of revolutionizing what they do offensively. But he also benefit from having Joe Burrow and just a lot of talented players on that roster. And yeah, you know, Coach O went out and recruited those players. That's a big part of being a head coach in this conference. I always hate it when people hold that against Kirby Smart, like, oh, like, oh, yeah, he's just a recruiter. Like, that's some mark against him. No, that's a huge part of the job of being a head football coach at the college level. So, that's something that he he does really really well. But as an overall coach, yes, he had that one great year. But I still honestly, I think if you give Mark Stoops the talent that Ed O had to work with last year, I think Stoops probably wins a national championship too. And I think if he had the LSU brain to work with, I think he might be able to recruit. Maybe not quite at Coach O's level, because Coach O is a he's an elite national recruiter. He has been for a long time. But I think he get a lot of talent there at LSU. So look, I. I know that's certainly open to interpretation, and a lot of you might disagree with me there, but I think he is as good of a coach, Mark Stoops, as any coach in the league outside of Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. I really absolutely do believe that what he has done in elevating and stabilizing that program is truly remarkable. And last year might have been one of the single best coaching jobs I have seen in a long time. And I realize some of you might not follow Kentucky all that closely, and I can't really fault you for that. So let me kind of recap how that season went for them real quick here. So their starting quarterback, Terry Wilson, he was their starter pretty much the entire way in 2018 when they had that 10-win season. He comes back, and they were expecting bigger things out of him. But he goes down to a season-ending injury in week two. I believe it was his patella tendon that he tore there, which is a tough injury in the knee. Then they proceed to lose their next three games after Wilson goes down to open 0-3 in conference then their backup quarterback, Sawyer Smith, he gets knocked out in the final game of that three game stretch. So they have to move, after that happens, they have to move their number one wide receiver to quarterback, Lynn Bowden, for the final eight games of the season. And I kind of just gave up on them at that point. Like when I saw Bowden be moved from wide receiver to quarterback, I was like, dude, I know he's a super talented guy, highly athletic, but yeah, you, you want to maybe get the ball in the in the hands of your best playmaker, but that also means you're taking your best wide receiver off the field and putting him at quarterback. So I had some serious questions about that. I mean, how was that team going to recover from that star 0-3 in conference with a wide receiver playing quarterback? But I was wrong. I, I'm mad enough to admit it. I was wrong. They did it. Somehow they recovered from that terrible 0-3 start in conference to put together a nice solid seven win regular season I mean honestly I know seven wins you're kind of like eh whatever right that's I guess that's kind of what Kentucky does but that was a really impressive seven win I guess it'd be an eight win season with the win over Virginia Tech in the Belk Bowl so just an unbelievable kind of comeback from a win three in conference with their two top quarterbacks going down to injury having to move your starting wide receiver over to quarterback I mean, they go on with Lynn Boden at quarterback. They won six of their last eight games, and one of those two losses was a four-point loss to Tennessee in a game at home that they lost late in the fourth quarter. They, You can make an argument they should have won that game. And and they weren't just, like, skating by in those six wins. Those six wins down the stretch with Lynn Boden at quarterback, came by an average of 21 points a game. They really were not just getting by with smoke and mirrors and just finding a way to somehow possibly pull out games. They were hammering teams down the stretch, including rival Louisville, which is a good Louisville team by a score of 45 to 13. Oh, and did I tell you guys, they did that with a wide receiver at quarterback. And they also did it a year after losing Josh Allen and all those other talented veterans on defense. They did that with only having 39% of their defensive production returning last year which was 127th nationally out of 130 teams in the in the FBS. And, and you know what, guys? Even though they only had 39% of that defensive production returning from a really good defense in 2018, a defense that led them to 10 wins, somehow their defense actually improved statistically last year. That's just crazy, man. And that's what I'm talking about. That is incredible coaching right there. Offensively, defensively, just an incredible job by that entire staff. I just have so much respect for this program right now and this coaching staff. No, I I don't think Kentucky will ever become a consistent contender for the SEC East because they're just recruiting a different caliber player and don't have the resources or support that the big boys of college football have, the Georgias, the Alabamas, even the Floridas, the LSUs of the world. But this is a team that has become and, and I think will continue to be a very tough out as long as Mark Stoops is running that show. And I think every couple years, they can cycle up to the point, like they did in 2018, where they are contending late in the season for a potential SEC East crown. I don't know if they'll ever get over that hump. I hope not, because I don't want anyone other than us to win the SEC East. But I think as long as Stoops stays there, every couple years, they can cycle up if they get the right kind of players at like quarterback skill positions and keep doing what they do defensively. In fact, I don't want to ruin our SEC East. Picks that we'll that we're going to reveal in a few weeks, but I might just be picking to Kentucky to pull the outright road upset over Auburn in Week One. I am very close to to calling that one right now. Not quite there, but I am very very close. I'll say this: the tires better be ready in that one because the Cats are going to punch them in the mouth. Come September twenty sixth, I'm actually other than our game, I'm probably more excited to watch that game than any other game that opening weekend on the SEC schedule. But Let's take a closer look at why exactly I'm so high on this Kentucky team, starting with their offense. I spent the first part of this episode gushing about head coach Mark Stoops, and he totally deserves that. But let me take another quick moment to gush about another coach, and that's offensive coordinator Eddie Grant. I've always said, and I'm certainly, certainly not the only person or the first person to say this, but I've always subscribed to kind of that cliche notion that great coaches, or especially great coordinators, are the ones that can take whatever talent that they have on hand and adjust what they do schematically to match the skill sets of the players that they have to work with, the guys on hand. And Eddie Gran is a prime example of a coach that does just that. Let's go back to his time at Cincinnati as offensive coordinator at Cincinnati from 2013 to 2015 he produced three straight top 20 passing offenses. Some of those were high flying offenses. And one of them specifically in 2015 that ended up being top 10 nationally was number six nationally at the end of the season. So this guy was producing some high powered passing offenses while he was the coordinator calling plays at Cincinnati. Then he gets the job at Kentucky with Mark Stoops. So he comes to Kentucky in 2016 with Mark Stoops planning initially to implement that same style of offense but he gets into camp. He sees that he has Benny Snell, and he just completely changes his philosophy based around the talent that he had on hand. He saw that Benny Snell was the best player on their offense. You know what? Let's feed the beast. Let's change our offense to fit his skill set. So he went from calling an offense that was sixth nationally in passing offense and only 57th nationally in rushing offense at Cincinnati in 2015 to running an offense that was top 20 in rushing offense and all the way down to the hundred and second nationally in passing offense. Just a year later at Kentucky in 2016. So that right there, that kind of caught my eye. I was like, whoa, whoa, this guy is a pretty legit offensive coordinator. But as good as that was early on in his tenure as the offensive coordinator at Kentucky, last year might have been his masterpiece. Not only did he have to work with three different quarterbacks last year. But again, as I said at the outset of the show, he was forced to move his best wide receiver to quarterback for the final eight games of the year. And he did that armed with one single bye week after week five when he had to insert Lynn Bowden as their starting quarterback. And he did that by completely revamping the Kentucky offense to the point that it was basically a modern update of the single wing offense. It was basically a triple option-esque offense. It really was, with emphasis on the quarterback run game. And guys, I cannot emphasize enough how difficult that is. That just does not happen. Usually during the bye week, you know, you throw in a wrinkle here and there. But to essentially just throw out one playbook and implement an entirely new playbook in the span of one week, and sure, as the season went on each week with Bowden at quarterback, they added a little bit more to the playbook. But to basically start from scratch with an entirely new playbook with a new quarterback, And with one week to do that, one bye week, that is unheard of. It just does not happen. But Grant knew when he looked at what he had during that bye week, he knew that he had a wide receiver at quarterback, a highly athletic and dynamic athlete. Obviously, Lynn Bowden was as dynamic an athlete as there was in America last year. But still, it was an adventure every single time he tried to throw the ball more than five yards past line of scrimmage. It really was. Uh, And they might have only finished 127th nationally in passing yards, but with Bowden at quarterback, changing of the offense on the fly in the middle of the season, again, unheard of, they were able to produce a top five rushing offense in America, number four nationally. It really was, guys. It was a masterful performance by one of what, who I believe is one of the more underrated coordinators in all of college football. But let's look at the offense this year. Last year, incredible job by Eddie Grant. A lot of respect for him on the offensive side of the ball. But Lynn Bowden is gone this year. So what is this Kentucky offense going to look like in 2020? At quarterback Terry Wilson, he is returning after tearing that patellar tendon. Again, that's a ugh, that's a nasty injury, man. I've had just patellar tendonitis, and that was bad enough. I cannot imagine tearing that tendon. But he went down in week two of last season. But this year, he has some very serious competition for the job in the form of Auburn transfer Joey Gateway. I don't think you can just assume that Terry Wilson is going to get this job. Now, that comes with a caveat because As of the time of this recording, the NCAA has still not made a ruling on Joey Gatewood's waiver for immediate eligibility after the transfer from Auburn. So that does, you know, got to be honest here, that obscures things a little bit when it comes to the quarterback battle. But Gatewood is a talented guy, he's a former top 50 national recruit. According to 247 Composite, he just ran up against a, a highly hyped legacy recruit at Auburn last year, and you know, really, as far as I'm concerned, I don't really think he had ever had much of a chance in that competition with Bo Nix for a, a lot of different reasons. I, I think that was going to be Nix's job almost no matter what. Unless he was a complete disaster, and he wasn't a complete disaster, so he was going to get that job. But if you look at Gatewood, he is a big, physical, and athletic quarterback, six foot five, 235 pounds at that size, with his athleticism. He does have some serious Cam Newton vibes when you watch him play. Now, no, I am not saying he's Cam Newton. He's not quite a Cam-level athlete, but he is very similar in stature, and he's also a very good athlete. Not quite a Cam Newton-level athlete, maybe not quite as as strong as Cam Newton right now, but the stature is there, the size is there, and he also is a very good athlete to go along with that. In fact, I would say, and Terry Wilson's a good athlete in his own right, he really is, but in my opinion... I think that Gatewood is undoubtedly the physically superior player when you're comparing him and Terry Wilson, but he doesn't have the experience that Terry Wilson does. Wilson does have that edge on him, but Gatewood is more of a dynamic runner, and I'm very interested to see what they do with the quarterback run game elements that they implemented last year the thing is, they don't have to research those plays. They're already in the playbook. They already have experience running those. And I'm curious to see if they still keep some of those plays around to use with Gatewood if he does indeed end up getting his eligibility. And honestly, it's a shame that they haven't ruled on this yet. I mean, look, I'm really glad that we got JT Daniels cleared within about a month, month and a half of him applying for that waiver. But I mean, what what is the hold up here? I mean, I'm sure there's things going on that I don't know about, but it's kind of just ridiculous at this point. We're a couple of weeks away from the season. He's applied for that waiver a while ago, and he still hasn't heard anything. It, it kind of reminds me in some ways of what Missouri went through last year. They applied for uh, that appeal to their bowl band at the beginning of last year, and it wasn't until the uh, week, I guess the last week of the year, going into that that season finale against Arkansas, they finally heard back that, oh yeah, your appeal has been denied. So uh, there's just no rhyme or reason with what the Instant Blade does. But if Gatewood does end up getting his waiver approved, It's going to be a very serious battle, but at this point, when you're getting so close to the season right now, at some point, you're going to have to make a decision on who's going to get the majority of the reps for the ones, and I think they're reaching that point here pretty quickly, and if they don't hear back from NCAA, at some point, you're going to have to just say Terry Wilson is going to get the majority of the snaps for the ones in practice until they get some sort of clarity from the NCAA in terms of Gatewood's eligibility status. So right now, I think it's probably the safer bet is to say it's going to be Terry Wilson, just with the uncertainty around Gatewood's status right now with his eligibility but if he get if he gets that eligibility granted i think Gatewood's going to be a major major contender for this quarterback job but right now we're just we're going to say it's going to be Wilson based off what we know at this time and i don't think he's quite as dynamic of a runner as Gatewood but, but this is a guy that can run the football too he's also a very athletic in his own right if you remember back he was an Oregon transfer and he, he was their starter most of the year in 2018 when they made that run to a 10-win season. And in that, in that season, he was a very efficient, but not really a dynamic starter. But he was, a, he was a young quarterback at that time. And Benny Snell was also on the team still. He was a senior. So it kind of just made sense for Eddie Grant to structure that offense around Snell and kind of just have Wilson do enough to keep defenses honest, which is exactly what he did. In 2018, Terry Wilson completed 67% of his passes for a little under 2,000 yards, 1,889 yards, only seven yards in attempt, 11 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Obviously not dynamic numbers, but he didn't kill his team either. He did just enough with Benny Snell at quarterback and also with his own legs. He did just enough with the passing game to keep defenses honest and give him a chance to get the 10 plus wins in 2018. But Look, I think whoever the quarterback ends up being, again, right now I'm I'm saying Terry Wilson based on the uncertainty around Gatewood's eligibility status, but whoever the quarterback ends up being, I still think the offense is going to lean heavily on the run game. You know, Wilson did have over 500 yards rushing as the starter in 2018. Maybe not quite as dynamic as Gatewood, not as big as physical, but a good runner in his own right. And while I think whoever wins that quarterback battle will certainly be a big part of that run game so will their trio of running backs. They got three guys that I think are all really good backs in their own right. And we're going to start with the guy who led them in rushing from that position. Obviously, Bowden was their leading rusher last year, but from the running back position, it's senior A.J. Rose, 6'1", 215 pounds, had 826 yards rushing last year, 5.5 yards per carry, good solid average there, six touchdowns on the year. And he's a guy that's maybe not elite at any one thing. He's not super flashy. He's got good speed, maybe not elite speed. Runs with good solid power. He's got good size at 6'1", 215 pounds. And he's a guy that I think can be a lead back. I don't know if he's ever going to be like a a superstar or a feature back in the SEC. But he's a guy that I think can be the number one back for them if they have a a, a good, strong runner at the quarterback position like I think they're going to have, whether it's Wilson or Gatewood. And He's a guy I think will probably open the season as their starter. But they got two other guys that are really good players in their own right. Got two redshirt sophomores. One of them, Cavassie, smokes the, kind of the smaller, more uh, electric back. He's a five foot nine, two hundred one pound, kind of just a bundle of energy back there. He had six hundred fifteen yards rushing in his own right last year. Six point one yards per carry, two touchdowns. He's a guy that has a little bit more. Ex- speed a little bit more explosiveness in his game can catch the ball in the backfield very well so he's a guy that certainly will get his fair number of carries this year but maybe the guy i like most at that running back position for kentucky is a guy named chris rodriguez another redshirt sophomore they call this guy little benny after benny snell because he looks the part i mean if you watch this guy play not only does he kind of look like benny snell with his, with his figure his stature But he also runs like Benny Snell. He runs angry, man. He runs with a physical style. He's 5'11", about 225 pounds. He had 533 yards rushing last year. But out of these three running backs, he was the one with the highest yards per carry, average at 7.5 yards per carry, six touchdowns on the year. He was a power back in, in the red zone area for them. He's a guy that, if you think about what they did with Benny Snell, and you know they like a back like that because, I mean, they made Benny Snell a superstar in Kentucky. I think Chris Rodriguez can be a guy that could potentially be a feature back for Kentucky to match with whoever it is at quarterback for a pretty dynamic run game. And of course, we can spend all the time we want talking about the dynamic players at quarterback and running back in the run game, but you can't really talk about the run game without talking about the big uglies up front on the offensive line. And Kentucky legitimately has one of the best offensive lines in the SEC they returned four players along that offensive front that started all 13 games last season and it wasn't just that they had four players yeah they got a lot of experience but they really weren't all that good it's just Kentucky right again no this was a really really good offensive line and all four of those guys were big time players this was the fifth highest graded offensive line According to Pro Football Focus, and yes, Lynn Bowden was dynamic, and they did a great job. Eddie Grant did a great job of kind of rebuilding that offense in the middle of the season. But this offensive line also deserves a ton of credit because they were outnumbered the vast majority of the time, really the last eight games of the year. I mean, going back and in, in preparing for this show, watching all the, all the games, watching the tape. Almost every team that played them with Lynn Bowden at quarterback was playing with zero coverage. What that means, guys, they had zero deep safeties. That number zero means how many deep safeties you have. They had zero of them. They were playing man coverage across the board and receivers, and everybody else was in the box. And sure, yes, Eddie Gray did a really good job of trying to overcome those numbers, disadvantages by optioning off guys and all those things. But the fact is that offensive line did an outstanding job of finding a way to clear out room for that run game to be a top five rushing offense in all of America and also to be a very explosive running attack as well. This was just a really, really good offensive line. I think Drake Jackson was the best of the group last year at least among the returning players, he's their center. He's a first-team All-SEC, 33 consecutive starts under his belt. This guy is a freaking stud. He's an NFL player, there's no doubt in my mind. Landon Young at left tackle is the guy that uh, is is a pretty big dude. He also ha- has good athleticism at left tackle. I don't know if he's an elite pass protector. We didn't really see a ton of him doing that last year. There's really weren't a ton of opportunities, especially those last eight games of the year with Lynn Bowden at quarterback, but I think he has the skill set to do that. I need to see more of that from him, but I think he has the skill set to do that. Darren Kennard last year at right tackle was actually the highest graded player on that front according to Pro Football Focus. I like Drake Jackson. I think he's a really athletic center, a really strong player, a very technically sound player. But Kennard is is a big fiscal guy in his own right and and did a really good job. They all did a great job on that front last year. They got four of those guys that started all 13 games coming back this season. So, guys, if you put all that together, a really good offensive line, a high-level offensive line with a dynamic runner, quarterback, whoever that ends up being, and some really good options at running back, some guys that really complement each other really well, whether it's A.J. Rose, Cavassier, Smoke, or the big bruiser and Chris Rodriguez. I think what you have with this Kentucky run game is a recipe for yet another nasty, nasty run game, even without Lynn Bowden. It might look a little bit different, but it's going to be, I think, just as productive as it was last year if you look at everyone that they have coming back. The question is... Can they get anything out of the passing game? Because as good as they were on the ground last season, they were just too one-dimensional to beat the better teams on their schedule. So does that change this year? Can they find enough of a passing game to, I don't know, at least pose a threat and make their run game even that more dangerous? I know Lynn Bowden was so dynamic, but they were able to do what they did last year, top five nationally in rush offense, without any passing attack really whatsoever. So I I believe if they can just add a little bit of a threat, even though they might not have a a guy as dynamic as Lin Bowden back there, they still have a chance to be just as productive potentially because they're going to force defenses to play different coverages and give them different looks. They can't just sit there and play zero coverage all game long to stop that run game if you have a quarterback that can at least complete a couple of passes down the field if you just give them man-on-man opportunities with no safety up whatsoever anywhere on the field. If you look at last year, they completed... Guys, this is crazy. This is, this is like Army-Navy type stuff. They completed a grand total of 38 passes over the last eight games of the season. That's under five completions a game for more than half the season with Lynn Bodenick quarterback. And they still won six out of those eight games, almost seven of eight, kind of just blowing that game late against Tennessee at home. So like... Th- it's really hard to say, honestly, when I'm looking at these receivers in this passing game, what are they going to be like this year? Sure, if it's Terry Wilson, I have a pretty good concept of what he is as a quarterback, but how much has he grown? We really don't know that right now. What kind of quarterback is he going to be coming off the patellar tendon injury? Is he going to be as dynamic a runner? We don't know all those things. And with the receivers, it's just really hard to tell because they, again, completed 38 passes over the last eight games of the season last year. I can tell you that Joshua Lee is their most experienced and productive returning option. He's a senior. He caught 23 passes for 233 yards last year, but has under 400 total yards receiving his entire career. And that is, guys, honestly, their most experienced and productive returning option. He's a guy. Got, you know, he's got. He's a good-looking athlete. Six about six foot tall, 195, 200 pounds. He moves really well. He's a fluid athlete. Good speed. But again, I I can't tell you much about his ball skills. I can't tell you much about his route running because I just really didn't see it last year when you go back and you watch that tape trying to prepare for an episode like this. But he's a good-looking athlete. I think he's got at least the physical tools to be a pretty good receiver in the SEC. Justin Rigg is a guy at tight end that I think can make some plays. He's a big dude at tight end. 6'6", 263, fits their system well. They want to have those guys that can be really strong inline line blockers but also go out there and catch some passes as well. And I think Justin Rig can fit that mold. Bryce Oliver is the only other guy, receiver, that's returning, that had over 100 yards receiving last year, and he's a redshirt sophomore. He's a little bit of a thicker type receiver, 6'1", about 215 pounds, thicker, a little bit more physical, really good blocker on the perimeter as well. All the receivers actually do a really good job of blocking on the perimeter, so I want to give them credit for that. I mean, they can't have as dynamic of a run game as they do and hit, hit as many explosive plays in the run game as they did last year without having some receivers that really buy into blocking, like our receivers have done for a long time. So I want to give them credit there. But again, just in terms of what they can do actually catching the football, it's hard to say, guys. I wish I had more information for you, but I could tell you about the guys that were on that 2018 team, but most of those guys are gone. Ali was on the team. He only had a little over 100 yards receiving in that year. He wasn't a major factor that season. So we'll see. Uh, hopefully in week one, we'll find out a little bit more about this team when they face Auburn and Jordan Hare. But right now, it, it's kind of it, to me, it's a mystery of what they might be with their passing game. But guys, make no mistake about it. This Kentucky team, offensively, and really as an entire team, they're gonna be kind of a throwback team this year. This is gonna be a team built on a strong run game and a tough physical run productive defense. So let's get to that defense here to close things out. And guys, yes, here here I am. I'm gonna I'm gonna gush about Mark Stoops again. I was just so impressed by the job that Mark Stoops did with a very young and inexperienced defense last season. Guys, they were really good on defense in 2018. They took, they took a major step forward. It was their first truly I think you can say borderline elite defense under Mark Stoops. They lost so much of that talent and that production off that 2018 defense that led them to 10 wins that I thought they were in, in line for a pretty significant drop-off defensively last season, even with Mark Stoops really kind of running that show. Uh, and kind of just to give you some some numbers here, it didn't work out that way. They ended the season in 2018 23rd nationally in total defense, giving up 337 yards a game. Really, really good. They're much better in their scoring defense as well. But last year, they actually improved their total defensive numbers, going all the way up to 20th nationally, giving up only 322 yards a game. That's 15 yards less per game than they did with Josh Allen, all those guys in 2018. And they did that with, again, only 39% of the returning defensive production from that 2018 defense. 127th nationally in returning defensive production last season. That's crazy, guys. They improved without really having any of their major playmakers coming back from that 2018 defense. But here's the thing. This year, that ain't going to be a problem. They have 78% of their defensive production returning from last year's team, including this time most of their key players. Yeah, they're losing Calvin Taylor, who was their top pass rusher last year, But outside of him, they have most of their key contributors coming back. And if you look at this defense, I think their defensive line is the strength of this team. And I want to start there. I actually want to start with a guy that I am so high on. Quentin Bohanna is a future NFL nose guard. I don't know why this guy did not go pro last year. Honestly, I thought he was good enough to go pro. I'm sure he got some good advice and and he stuck it out. So good for them in Kentucky because this guy's a stud. 6'4", 355, 360 pounds, and the dude can move yes I love Jordan Davis I love our nose guard I think he's as good as any nose guard in America but Quentin Bohanna is their version of Jordan Davis big physical guy that does a really good job with his technique plays with a low center of gravity uh, keeps a really solid base does a really good job getting his hands on the offensive linemen controlling them but the guy can move he's athletic for a 355 360 pound dude and he's just a monster. He's an absolute monster. He is the key to that entire defense, especially in that front seven. So he's the guy. Absolutely watch out for him. He's a future NFL player, in my opinion. I mean, almost no doubt in my mind, if he can just stay healthy. And then also up front, you got Josh Pascal at Defensive End, 6'3, about 275 pounds. He's a guy that's a really good job. Kind of like they're like think of like Malik Kerry that's kind of what Josh Pascal is for them. Kind of that five tech guy that can rush the passer at times give you a little bit of a pass rush but also does a really good job setting the edge. Kind of just an underrated player there. I think he does a really good job for them. I think Jamar Watson is their best pass rusher outside linebacker. He's a six foot three, two hundred and forty five pounds senior and he's their leading returning sack man with six and a half sacks on the year last year. He's a, he's a certainly a more athletic pass rusher than Josh Paschal, and that's really what he's designed to do. He, he's a guy that's going to get on the edge, and he is going to rush the passer more often than not, whereas Paschal has to do a little bit more anchoring against the run there on the edge, whereas Watson, they they kind of designed the scheme to allow him to get some more one-on-one opportunities off the edge there and let him just kind of Uh, be unleashed and just get after the passer so really good defensive front there I also really like their inside linebackers I like their entire front seven honestly I think that's certainly I think the defensive line is the strength of the team I think the front seven overall is certainly the strength of this team Now, an inside linebacker, they do lose cash. January was a multi-year starter for them, a really good player. He's kind of a guy who played with a lot of energy for them. Maybe never an elite player, but just a really good, strong, physical player at inside linebacker, knew what to do, didn't blow a lot of coverage. Just kind of the heart of that defense the past couple years. So he's gone. That is a loss for them. But they have some talented players returning inside linebacker. DeAndre Squares, who the guy I think is probably the most talented returner at inside linebacker, 6'2", 225. He moves really well on the inside of that defense. Did deal with an injury a little bit late in the season, but I think he's a guy that can certainly be a, a big-time player for them on the inside of that defense. And then the other guy that's probably going to be the starter besides Square there on the inside is Jamin Davis, 6'4", a little bit bigger guy, 6'4", 235. Now, he was in the rotation last year, but only got one start but he's a guy that actually, for his size, he moves pretty well for a guy that size. He's more of a downhill, thumping type guy. But again, he can move a little bit side of sideline as well. And really, whoever it is that lines up at inside linebacker, I think again, I think it's going to be Square and Davis, they all really benefit from that big, powerful, strong defensive line, especially a guy like Quentin Bohanna, just eating up double teams and keeping guys off their inside linebackers, allow them to run free and make plays all over the field. Uh, you saw Cassian really benefit from that last year. I think Square and Davis are going to benefit from that this year with Quentin Bohanna and company coming back all on that defensive front this year. So really, really strong defensive front. If you look at the back end, the secondary, statistically this was a great pass defense a year ago. They were actually number two nationally giving up only 167 yards a game. So if you look at that stat, you're kind of like, whoa, dude, that's incredible. But when I looked at that, I was looking at these numbers, and I saw that numbers Number two nationally, 167 yards a game. But they didn't quite match with what I saw on tape. When you watch them play, going back, and especially watching the Belk Bowl against Virginia Tech, some of their DB, especially at cornerback, they got... Be pretty consistently in that game. And that was kind of a theme I saw throughout the year when they, when they were playing a team that had a quarterback that actually throw the ball down the field. So it just didn't quite mesh with what I was seeing when I was watching the tape. And you go back and you look at the schedule, the teams they were playing. Yes, they, did, they were good against the pass last year they really were but i don't know if they were really number two national i think that's a little bit of an inflated number because i think it had a lot to do with their schedule and the teams on that schedule the top four passing offenses they faced last year were florida eastern michigan georgia yes guys all the issues that we had last year passing the football we were one of the top four passing offenses they faced last year and then louisville as well who went through a number of different quarterbacks but tutu atwell is a really good receiver and two of those four best passing offenses that they faced last year, Florida and Eastern Michigan, both went for over 300 yards passing against them. And guys, the first half of that game, Florida played Kentucky with Felipe Franks at quarterback. Kyle Trash did not come in until the second half of that game when Felipe Franks went down. So Trask didn't even play for that entire game. And we all know how up and down Felipe Franks is. And he wasn't playing really all that well in that game. If Felipe Franks stayed in that game, they were going to lose to Kentucky for the second straight season. But uh, Trask comes in, they win the game for right at 300 yards. Eastern Michigan, I think, went went for over 330. And then the other two passing offenses, top two passing offenses they faced, Georgia and Louisville, they benefited from playing both of those games in torrential downpours. It was a monsoon here in Athens. I mean, God, I remember being in that stadium. That was a monsoon. That was crazy. And Louisville, go back and watch that game, and it was was pouring from the get-go just like it was when we played them here in Athens. So two of the four best passing offenses they faced, they played in torrential downpours where no one was really throwing the football down the field. And then the other two, Florida East Michigan, went for over 300 yards against them. And if you look at the other teams on their schedule, uh, they averaged coming out at number 90 nationally in passing offense. So they just really did not play a ton of great passing offenses at all last year. So I think they benefited from that. So good, but maybe not quite as good as the numbers would suggest. But if you look at the the personnel back there, Yusuf Corker is the star at safety. He's a guy that's really good at run support. He also does a good job kind of playing that deep center field, can break on balls, does a really good job kind of reading where the quarterback's going with the ball. The cornerbacks are okay. These are the guys, when I was watching them play, where I just didn't see the numbers match up with what I was actually seeing in terms of what they were doing on the field. Brandon Echols and Cedric Dort are good, but there were times, especially Echols, where his ball skills weren't great, kind of get lost in coverage, didn't always play with the best technique. So I think there is some improvement that they can make at cornerback. Dort was a little bit more consistent than Echols was, but that's the position on that defense where I think, okay – there's certainly some vulnerability there out wide at the cornerback position. At least there was last year. We'll see what they do coming into this year. I think that's an area where you could potentially attack this team if you have a quarterback that can push the ball down the field and some some receivers and go up and win the ball at the top of the route. Because those guys, neither Echoes nor Dort, are really all that big. They're actually slider in stature. So I think that might be, if there's anywhere they're vulnerable on defense, I think it might be at the cornerback position. But in totality, when you look at this Kentucky defense... I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they're going to be the most talented defense on our schedule because that's certainly not the case. But they play really hard and they are extraordinarily well coached. And yeah, they they might not have top level talent at every single position on defense like maybe the Alabamas or the Georgias of the world do, but they have a couple of players at spots, guys like Quentin Bohanna, guys like Yusuf Corker, guys like Jamara Watson, Josh Paschal that are really, really high level players that can start on a lot of teams in the SEC. So when you match that the fact that they play really hard, they play discipline, and they are just extraordinarily well coached. I think this is a, a, another year where Kentucky's defense is going to be poised to be another top 25 caliber unit. And is a unit that's going to keep them in just about every game they play with maybe the exception of some of the bigger boys on their schedule. So I'm really high on this Kentucky team. I think there's a chance that they can compete for that second spot in the SEC East. If they can beat Florida, I think they can get that spot. Because I think they can beat – if they can beat just about every team they should be in their schedule, if they beat the Missouris of the world, the Vanderbilts of the world, the Mississippi States of the world, all those teams that they should beat – and find a way to maybe pull an upset against Tennessee or, and you know what, They I'm not sure they should be an underdog against Tennessee at this point, honestly, but if they pull an upset on the road against Auburn or on the road against Florida, this is a team that certainly can at least contend to be that second team in the SEC East again like they were in 2018. So really, again, excited to see that week one matchup against Auburn because I think that's going to be a game where Auburn better be ready to play so should be fun just can't wait for college football to get here at least the SEC schedule to get here as college football is already here and had a lot of fun watching that over the weekend but that does it for me here today on the Glory UJ podcast I really appreciate you guys listening to the show today Curtis will be back with me for the next episode this week, when we are doing our bowl predictions. And again, guys, that's on you. We need you guys to send us all your bowl predictions. You can send them to us on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can email them to us, podcast at gmail.com, and we will feature those on our next episode. So that should be a lot of fun. We're also going to try to come back later this week with our Florida edition of the Scout and the Enemy series, which I know is probably one you guys have been waiting on for a while here. So we will have that for you guys as well. But thanks for listening guys, I'm Tyler and as always, go dogs!